Hello, everybody. Welcome to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn, your Sunday afternoon news hour. My name is Jasmine, and uh, we are recording this episode on Friday, January the 6th, but you'll be listening to it for the first time on Sunday, January the 8th, and the rebroadcast will be on Monday, January the 9th. Um, With me today, I have two new Well, they're not new friends. They're old friends, not old chronologically, but I've known them for a long time, um, (laughs) who will be helping me out with this week's show. Um, So, Janet, you want to go first to introduce yourself? Sure. I'm Janet um, from Queens, filling in today. Hi, I'm Summon, uh, recently transplanted to Brooklyn. Okay, well, welcome. Thanks for coming on, and Happy New Year to the two of you. I don't know. I think I saw some yeah, Happy New Year. In the New Year, but Janet, I don't think we've seen each other yet. Not yet. <laughs> okay, and Happy New Year to all of our listeners. Like This is our first um, new episode since um, 2023 has begun, um, and hopefully it'll be a better year than last year. Here's hoping. Um, So today for our three stories, we have a local story about the ongoing rat crisis in New York City. For our national story, we're going to talk about updates about the um, Washington substation power attacks. And for world news, we'll be discussing um, the European Union fining Facebook for privacy violations. Uh, So first we have Janet with our local news. Janet, take it away. All right. So many of you may have caught the headline in the New York Times, uh, kind of amusing, called Mayor Adams has rats, Curtis Lewa has cats. What could go wrong? The article is written by Dana Rubenstein of the New York Times on January 4th, 2023. In front of a red brick Brooklyn row house, it was clear that Mayor Eric Adams' ongoing war on rats had reached another level of absurdity. In the middle of a busy New York City workday, a dozen or so reporters had gathered, along with at least eight police officers, three guardian angels in red berets, including Curtis Sliwa, who lost to Mr. Adams in the 2021 mayoral election, two charismatic cats in a cage, and one very dead rat plastered on Lafayette Avenue its hairless tail still largely intact. The row house is owned by none other than Mayor Adams, who has once again been fined for failing to control rats at his four-unit apartment house in Bedford-Stuyvesant neighborhood of Brooklyn. One year into his tenure, Mr. Adams has no shortage of monumental problems on his plate, but one comparatively picayune problem continues to bedevil him both professionally and personally, the humble and prolific brown rat. On December 7th, the day after Mr. Adams successfully challenged an earlier rat-related summons at his Brooklyn property, the health department he controls issued two new summonses to the mayor, both for failing to control rats. The new summonses, first reported by the Daily News, carry up to $1,200 in fines in total for Mr. Adams. Mr. Adams again said he would fight the fines in the city's administrative tribunal, which he also effectively controls. Mr. Adams' history with rats is long and complicated. 
He claims to be terrified of them, but also said his childhood home was so overrun by rats that he and his siblings adopted one as a pet. As Brooklyn Borough President, he angered animal rights advocates by publicly showcasing a rat drowning device during a demonstration that involved ladling dead rats out of a vat. Oh my God. Yeah, I know. So this year, his administration announced that it would hire a director of rodent mitigation with the quote, drive, determination, and killer instinct needed to fight the real enemy, New York City's relentless rat problem. Mr. Sliwa, the founder of the Guardian Angels, who ran against Mr. Adams for mayor in 2021, has said he would be happy to offer his services. Quote, he's tried everything, said Mr. Sliwa, as his wife Nancy petted a tiny, a white-nosed tuxedo cat, and Thor, a tabby, through the bars of their cage. But it's time that we revert to the best measure that's ever worked, and that's cats. The Sliwas have opened their home to rescue cats. Sixteen cats share their home, Mr. S- Mrs. Sliwa said Wednesday, including Tiny and Thor. Mr. Sliwa said the two animals were slated to be euthanized when they were rescued, and he argued that instead of killing cats, the city should use them to keep rats at bay. Plenty of middle-aged women already care for feral cat colonies, he said and the women could be enlisted to expand their operations. And he suggested that if Mr. Adams were willing, Mr. Sliwa would outfit the mayor's Brooklyn property with a cat colony of its own. Mr. Adams seemed to treat Mr. Sliwa's offer with mock seriousness. He suggested that he would welcome Mr. Sliwa's help, hinted that he might hire him as either the city's new rat czar or perhaps an intern, and then said that the people shouldn't be treating the rats, the city, sorry, the city's rat problem as a quote Tom and Jerry cartoon. Cats prefer easy prey, not risky and potentially lethal prey, unquote, emailed Michael H. Parsons, a visiting research scholar at Fordham University, who co-wrote a paper on the inefficacy of using cats to control rat populations. Dr. Parsons describes rats as quote, battle-hardened quote, amazingly agile, and more than able to hold their own against felines, quote, and these comments are coming from someone who loves cats, he added. So that article was abridged for the sake of time, but the full article is on the Time New York Times website. But lots we could discuss with this article. Yeah, for sure. I thought that the uh, kind of intuitive answer would be the cat's but um, and it's interesting that there's a study that says the cats won't solve the problem. Yeah, for sure. I, I had read that article a few weeks back and, you know, they've done some testing where they actually analyze what's going on in places with feral cats in a building. And they showed that, you know, the rats are too big and too aggressive mm-hmm. and cats seldom actually initiate a fight with a rat. They mostly... Uh, hunt for things like mice or smaller rodents and honestly rats are huge these days so i know i know and i and one thing that the um the article didn't mention was all of the um the outdoor seating that was uh, set up post-covid 
because um, before I moved to Brooklyn, I was on the Upper West Side and all those restaurants and dessert places had all this outdoor seating and I think they still have it. And every time I would pass by after dark, those tables were crawling with rats. It was disgusting. Absolutely. (laughs) And it's, I notice on my own street, like when they do the street cleaning, a lot of times in between the outdoor eating gets kind of like those trucks that kind of brush the streets can't Mm -hmm. really get in there. So -hmm. there's like gaps of garbage in between the eating places, which is Mm -hmm. gross. Yeah. Yeah. I'm also kind of concerned about, cause you know, one of my friends was like, well, of course you feel that way because you like rats. I'm like, okay, (laughs) I don't want to misrepresent myself as like a rat lover, like a dirty rat lover. (laughs) But I do feel like, you know, they're just trying to live their life. Yeah, <laughs> they're, you know they're very successful. That's true. At what they do, you know, <laughs> but at the same time, like I do realize, like they do carry a lot of diseases and things like that, and I'm like, that's not really putting that onto cats is sort of like yeah. they would probably get injured or very sick if they were like killing and ingesting city rats like with whatever it is they're carrying and stuff like that like it's true i think some people have this mindset or belief that you know may be true that like also just sensing that there's a cat around will scare or deter some types of pests i don't Mm -hmm. i think that that might happen with mice right i don't smell or something you can smell a cat smell a predator or something yeah yeah it's like they know something is around and like Mm -hmm. they'll kind of stay out of that space but i you know if it's outside it's all bets are off it's like (laughs) these animals have gangs basically one interesting thing i came across in regard to because usually we think of what's wrong it i mean some people have just an aversion to rats and it's that's it for them They just don't want to see them, don't want to look at them. But thinking really about the health situation in New York, one problem, of course, is that when they they can destroy things, gnawing through it, and they leave feces and urine, which is obviously gross and not sanitary. But I did read an interesting article that suggested that the species of rats we have in New York are the, sometimes they're called Norway or brown rats, Radus Norviticus. Yeah, exactly. Um, and they say they come from Mongolia, most likely, originally, oh. but came to New York via Europe during, like, the Dutch era. And the interesting thing about this article was suggesting that the New York's rats have been here for, like, several centuries now, and they're very territorial. So they actually block other rat populations from entering the city. Mm-hmm. And the article was suggesting that this is actually a good thing because it's when rats come immediately from a new place where they could be especially risky for bringing diseases. Mm-hmm. But if, if you've been living with your rat population for a long time, it's kind of some kind of equilibrium has been reached. So the current New York rats have been kind of pushing away other rat communities. So that was something I hadn't thought of before <laughs> I, I i will say though that there's something to be said for this this trash thing because the absolutely herbs like it's first of all it's there all night um and it's there every day in in especially like you know where i was on the upper west side and it's it's interesting because you know i've moved to brooklyn and brooklyn the area that i'm in there is like i don't know when the trash collection happens because i never see the bags on the on the street 
um, and there's no rats. <laughs> and we have a lot of restaurants here. So yeah. I, I don't know. It's, it's interesting. No, certainly the implication about the garbage situation in New York City is the real heart, like the lady in the article was saying. Like, it's really about how we make too much garbage and how we don't pick it up properly. True, yeah. And, like, there was um, the writer Celeste Ng. She wrote Little Fires Everywhere. She had a Twitter thread where she was kind of comparing, like, the rat issue with um, COVID mitigation things, like how your personal behavior affects more than just you. Because I think she's in Boston, and she was saying they also have a big rat problem. Like, it's a big city and a lot of it is, of course, tied to trash. Like in Boston, they have like the alleys where people will put their garbage. And she was like, if you have any one individual person that doesn't think it's a big deal that they don't put their trash away properly, like rats have like a football size field like range that they'll go through looking for food. So you know, the fact that you exist there, like, and you're not doing it, it affects all of your neighbors within that area because the rats will just keep roaming around because they know eventually, like, they're going to get to that weak link person that has their garbage everywhere. So, yeah, I do hope that the city figures out a better way <laughs> than having the trash just be out on the street. But also, it is true, like, we generate too much of it for sure. And, and you know, I, I think bringing back will come. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if this has happened in Brooklyn, but right now in Queens, they've temporarily brought back some of the composting. And I think that can have sometimes issues related to rats. But if it's done right, you could actually be taking the materials out of the regular trash that would be attractive to the rats and containing it. So it can actually, the composting could be a solution as long as it's handled well and done, you know, across the city. Yeah, for sure. And like feral, the feral cat population is a problem in and of itself. Like that's not good for the animals that are just like reproducing where you have like some female cats are just a few months old and they're already pregnant with a litter. Like that's just not a good situation. So this I don't know what <laughs> Curtis Lee what, like, yeah, he's, he's what, a character <laughs> he's something else but he's like we can deploy the middle aged women I'll send you both the picture and the video but as you were saying that Dre was right my cat was right next to me like what, listening watching got oh, on the goodness. keyboard it's like is he trying to be recruited into this army <laughs> It's like, that's not responsible either. Like having cats on cats on cats and they're just out and about. Like, that's not really. Yeah. And yeah. I know that there are groups that are doing like catch and release where, they, where they're getting them spayed um, and then releasing them again. That's always good. And also like totally support non-euthanizing cats. But yes. it doesn't have to be in order to try to defend giant you know, defend us from the giant rats. Right. We can both save cats and lower the rat populations. But one <laughs> other thing that's like, I'm worried that they'll try this in addition to the cruelty of the drowning methodology that Eric Adams was proposing 
which is just sick. Um, I'm worried that they'll try poisons because, Ooh. of course, anytime you introduce a poison, it's going to feed up the food chain. So you don't want a rat to eat the poison and then the body to be consumed by mm-hmm. um, something like a vulture or another animal that could then carry it through into different systems. Right. And I think there was, my, at least my mom was telling me about an article where they did try in some neighborhoods putting some poisons on the street and there was actually dogs that got sick from yes. eating it. Yeah, for sure. For sure. That happens a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, thanks so much for that eye-opening, um, I guess, gang turf war happening with, the, <laughs> the, with the, the avatars are the mayoral candidates or whatever, but the, the victims are all of us, like the rats, the cats, and the people. That's right. Um, so I think I mentioned this on an old show where we discussed the rat issue. There's this really great episode of the podcast through line called of rats and men. And it talks about what Janet mentioned, like the history of like rats and human civilization, especially in big cities and how we have a lot more in common with them than some would like to admit. It's really educational. So I suggest you check that out. Um, you are you are listening to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. And for our first musical uh, break, this is Crazy by Seal. We'll be right back. A man decides after 70 years that what he goes there for is to unlock the door. Well, those around him that criticize and sleep. Through a fractal on a breaking wall I see you, my friend And touch your face again Miracles will happen as we dream But we're never gonna survive Unless we get a little No, we're never gonna survive unless we are a little crazy. Other people walking through my head. One of them's got a gun to shoot the other one, and yet together they were friends at school. Follow them when we first took the pill Then maybe, maybe Miracles will happen as we speak Behold, here cometh the dreamer, the dreamer, the dreamer.
Radio Free Brooklyn's mission is to provide a free and open platform to our community and promote media literacy, education, free expression, and public art. We rely primarily on donations from listeners like you. Every dollar helps us stay on the air and allows us to continue our work in the community. We are a 501c3 nonprofit organization, so all contributions are tax deductible. Please support with a monthly pledge or a one-time donation at RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash donate. Welcome back to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. And next up for national news, um, I will be talking about a recent attacks on Washington State's electric grid. Uh, this first article is from NPR. It was written on January the 4th by Camilla Domineski. The title is FBI says two men attacked Washington's electric grid in order to commit a robbery. Two men have been charged with federal crimes for attacking substations in Washington state, an act of sabotage that left thousands without power on Christmas day. Federal agents say one of the men confessed to knocking out the power in order to commit a burglary by emptying the cash register of a local business during the power outage. The FBI says cell phone records led to the arrest of Matthew Greenwood, 32, and Jeremy Crahan, 40, both residents of Pulleyup, Washington. According to documents unsealed Tuesday, both men have been charged with conspiracy to damage energy facilities, and Greenwood has also been charged with possession of an unregistered firearm. The sabotage came after a string of other attacks on power infrastructure across the U.S., including one that caused a major outage in North Carolina. The Department of Homeland Security has previously warned that power infrastructure is a quote-unquote attractive target for domestic terrorists. However, the charging documents for Greenwood and Crahan don't indicate any political motivations. We have seen attacks such as these increase in western Washington and throughout the country and must treat each incident seriously, U.S. Attorney Nick Brown said in a statement. The outages on Christmas left thousands in the dark and cold and put some who need power for medical devices at extreme risk. A public defender assigned to Matthew Greenwood declined to comment, while the lawyer appointed to defend Jeremy Crahan says he expects to enter a not guilty plea. Um, so that was a quick summary from um, NPR. And I just wanted to read a little bit of information from a separate political article. Uh, written by Catherine Morehouse um, the day after these attacks. And the title was Physical Attacks on Power Grid Surge to New Peak. Uh, so this is just some excerpts from that article. And she writes, The U.S. power grid is suffering a decade-high surge in attacks as extremists, vandals, and cyber criminals increasingly take aim at the nation's critical infrastructure. Uh, further down, she expands physical and computerized assaults on the equipment that delivers electricity are at their highest level since at least 2012, including 101 reported this year, meaning 2022, through the end of August, according to federal records examined by Politico. The previous peak was the 97 incidents recorded for all of 2021. 
Um, further down, white nationalists, neo-Nazis, and other domestic extremists seeking to sow unrest have taken responsibility for other high-profile attempts to take down swaths of the grid, prompting security experts to grow increasingly concerned about the U.S. electricity system's vulnerability. Um, so I'm going to stop there, but I thought this was an an important story to talk about just because, you know, I'm, I'm not sure if the two of you have been um, plugged into like a lot of the like rise of right wing extremism mm -hmm. in this country. But it, this is definitely something that freaks me out. Like I, that that attack that happened in um, North Carolina and Moore right. County, there were like forty five thousand people mm -hmm. without power. Um, and I don't know if they know for sure that that was tied to um, a right wing extremist group. But from what I was reading, it seems like they're narrowing in on that being the case. And yeah. I do know that this is like in their playbook to do stuff like this. Um, yeah, it's really interesting that they do go um, after infrastructure in this really big way, um, as opposed to other sort of like terrorist or like you know, sabotage or, or rioting um, that, that it, you know, happens um, in other communities. But these right-wing um, saboteurs tend to go towards these infrastructure things, um, which I just, I just find it really interesting. Um, and then, you know, in contrast, when you think about it in terms of, like, the political situation and, and the kinds of things that, like, the current administration is focused on is on building infrastructure and how there's this effort right now to, like, um, strengthen our um, existing um, infrastructure in the country and like, you know, high speed internet and all this kind of thing and making sure people are connected. Um, and yet, you, you know, we've got these subversive elements that are that are actively attacking that. Yeah, it seems like we're really coming into a new age. I mean, we already know that we're in this um, unprecedented time with the internet and how we control our systems. And even at the home level, some people have their smart devices controlling all of their lights and their lock system. And all these things are capable of being hacked. And then we have like the war with Russia and Ukraine going on where we're seeing how some of this kind of stuff comes into play in like a 21st century battlefield with like the know scramble for information and the scramble for control of um basic or being able to take control of infrastructure in another country through a war it's kind of like mind-boggling <laughs> if you yeah. use certain devices to keep you alive or like you rely on them and they mm -hmm. just go out what are you supposed to do Right. Like there were mothers who or there was a mother who had like a baby who was on a ventilator and she had to use like a hand vent or something because yeah. there was no power. So like, yeah, these people, like a lot of these right wing groups, like they do want to create situations where people are desperate. They're afraid. They're confused because they're trying to stoke like mass violence and it's really frightening, mm -hmm. like how the infrastructure in this country is so fragile, where they're doing like dozens and dozens of attacks within a year. Mm -hmm. And then other people like these guys, apparently, maybe that wasn't their motivation. But 
it's still the same mindset. Like, oh, if we just do this, we can shut the power down for thousands of people for our own ends. And that's still scary. Like, even if their agenda wasn't like race war or whatever, that's still horrifying. Horrifying. And it exposes how vulnerable we are. Just in different communities around the U.S., we're vulnerable to domestic attacks. Yeah. I mean, and I wonder also, and like, you know, Jasmine, you, you gave that example of the woman in Buffalo who had to do the hand ventilation for her baby. If, you know, in Washington State, there were similar people who had whose lives had been put at risk because of this um, power outage that these guys caused, um, whether they could be charged for manslaughter or, you know, um, any other kind of neglect, criminal neglect or something, you know, um, that would that would be added to their charges right that's a good question it is and also like even thinking bigger than that the people in charge of keeping the infrastructure like working and running they also need to be held accountable because what's going on in jackson with the water isn't that like they can't go to they're in like remote school because there's still not drinkable water like what happened in flint it's like you have Mm -hmm. all of these politicians that are they're abdicating their responsibility to do things to protect their citizens by keeping the infrastructure up to date. Even in Buffalo, it snows mm-hmm. badly every year in that city. Mm-hmm. They need to have a better plan than this. It can't just be, oops, this happened. It's like, okay, we know that these people are attacking these substations. What next? We need to yes. do something to make them less vulnerable, not just be like, oh, well, it's it's gonna happen. And then you focus on the individual actors because it's bigger than that. Mm-hmm. That's right. Absolutely. I was just gonna say, it's kind of one of those things where you're worrying about many various things in the news cycle. And then on top of it, this comes in and it's like, and everything's so vulnerable to attack. And it just kind of adds that extra layer of kind of worry and dread and like you said jasmine there's people that take advantage of that kind of fear and it's, it's complicated these kinds of issues yeah and and it also kind of um emphasizes this this sort of um need for for new infrastructure green infrastructure you know like if, if yeah. people had like solar panels on their homes they wouldn't have to worry about the grid going out um, if, right. if we were using the clean energy that we we have the technology for, this wouldn't be as big of an issue as it is. Um, so that's another kind of nuance to this. That's so true. And it's like, I really hate how in our culture, there's so much emphasis on like individual actors. Like mm-hmm. even, I guess Buffalo has been on my mind, but even like, the way that some of the people in charge were like emphasizing, we told people not to travel these people or like you have people um, resources spent on basically punishing anyone who was like out in a car at during the travel ban. And it's like, those are small potatoes compared to like the greater benefit. If like the bigger structure is more secure those little things would be less of an issue, but there seems to just be a lack of real commitment to take that seriously by all the people who would need to take it seriously. And it's it sucks that it's like 
people have to die or like things, the disasters have to be bigger for something to really change. Cause like you're saying some, we do have the, we have the ability, we know what can be done, but it's just dragging our feet with really doing it like full speed. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately for these kinds of things, it takes kind of a tragedy for their, you know, you have to have a problem and a reaction rather than anticipate right yeah do y'all watch the twilight zone yeah of course (laughs) do do y'all remember the episode the monsters are due on maple street classic um we had to read that teleplay in the seventh grade i never i don't think i ever watched it but we had to read the teleplay in um miss washington's class (laughs) <laughs> nice what was the what was the um the premise it's basically like what we're talking about it's like you have this on maple street the power goes out and like everyone's stuff stops working but then right. there's certain individual people where like maybe their car will start or like right. they right. have power in that right. house and right. then they start and then it causes all this yes 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 and it's like the psychology of suspecting your neighbor mm-hmm. and, you know, these people who were coming over for the classic 60s barbecue, right. they start to suspect each other. They start to think of their own interests and they start to fight and they, all the worst of them, they become the monsters because they, the, the fear and the worry about what's going on pushes them to put themselves first. Yeah, and it's like, we're not going to give away the ending or the big reveal of what's happening. But if you haven't seen that episode, look it up. The Monsters Are New on Maple Street. But I think that it's an old episode, but that's that gets at the heart at what a lot of these um, right-wing groups, that's their thinking. It's like, if we do something to disrupt you know, people's day-to-day lives and the things that they take for granted that's going to be the spark that ignites like this infighting and that's going to bring us to like total collapse. It's really freaky. All right. So um, that is the end of our national news segment. And for our next musical break, uh, this is Gorath Elixir by the Durder Band. You're listening to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. We'll be right back.
to listen to Radio Free Brooklyn when you're not in front of your computer, please download our free mobile app for iPhone and Android, available in the App Store for iPhone or the Google Play Store for Android. Also, please be sure to subscribe to our monthly newsletter for the latest news about new programming and upcoming Radio Free Brooklyn events. You can sign up at radiofreebrooklyn.org forward slash newsletter. Welcome back to Objections to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. And up next, we have Saman with our world news story. So um, this is a story that was covered by multiple sources, um, the Associated Press, um, and then Democracy Now! had it in their headlines this week. Um, Facebook has been fined $414 million for violating the privacy rules in the European Union. Um, I'm going to read a a truncated uh, version of the New York Times coverage on this story. Um, And um, this was written by Adam Satariano um, and published on January 4th, 2023. The title of the article is Meta's Ad Practices Ruled Illegal Under EU Law. Meta, the parent company of Facebook and Instagram, suffered a major defeat on Wednesday that could severely undercut its Facebook and Instagram advertising business after European Union regulators found it had illegally forced users to effectively accept personalized ads. The decision, including a fine of 390 million euros, $414 million, has the potential to require Meta to make costly changes to its advertising-based business in the European Union, one of its largest markets. The ruling is one of the most consequential judgments since the 27-nation bloc, home to roughly 450 million people, enacted a landmark data privacy law aimed at restricting the ability of Facebook and other companies from collecting information about users without their prior consent. The law took effect in 2018. The case hinges on how Meta receives legal permission from users to collect their data for personalized advertising. The company's terms of service agreement, the very lengthy statement that users must accept to gain access to services like Facebook, Instagram, and WhatsApp, includes language that effectively means users must either allow their data to be used for personalized ads or stop using Meta's social media services altogether. EU authorities had determined that placing the legal consent within the terms of service essentially forced users to accept personalized ads, violating the European law known as the General Data Protection Regulation, or GDPR. Meta has three months to outline how it will comply with the ruling. The decision does not specify what the company must do, but it could result in Meta's allowing users to choose whether they want their data used for such targeted promotions. If a large number of users choose not to share their data, it would cut off one of the most valuable parts of Meta's business. Information about a user's digital history, such as what videos on Instagram prompt a person to stop scrolling, or what types of links a person clicks when browsing Facebook feeds, is used by marketers to get ads in front of people who are the most likely to buy. The practices helped Meta generate $118 billion in revenue in 2021. The penalty contrasts with regulations in the United States, where there is no federal data privacy law, and only a few states like California have taken steps to create rules similar to those in the European Union. But any changes that Meta makes as a result of the ruling could affect users in the United States. 
Many tech companies apply EU rules globally because that is easier to put in effect than limiting them to Europe. The EU judgment is the latest business headwind facing Meta, which was already grappling with a major drop in advertising revenue because of a change made by Apple in 2021 that gave iPhone users the ability to choose whether advertisers could track them. Meta said last year that Apple's changes would cost it about $10 billion in 2022 alone, with consumer surveys suggesting that a clear majority of users have blocked tracking. Um, The rest of the article is available on the New York Times website, um, but this is where I wanted to kind of cut off the story for us to discuss. So, um, yeah, lots of interesting things here about how um, the European Union and the GDPR specifically like protects privacy that does not happen in the U.S. and how globally there is so much more awareness about the privacy concerns and the targeted marketing that, um, you know, Facebook and other social media companies use um, to keep people kind of hooked to their phones um, and hooked to their apps. Could you um, just repeat briefly what GDPR is? Yeah. Um, so the GDPR is the is the law that they passed in um, the European Union, which is the General Data Protection Regulation, um, which is uh, just the rights that users have online. Um, so this is like the right to access, the right to privacy, the right to have their information deleted if they want it from the internet, so that not everything personal yeah. about them is forever like that kind of stuff. Um, And that's only the European Union has that. But ever since it passed in 2018, a lot of companies have started adopting policies on on a global scale because they don't want to have to, you know, adapt their app for a different market. They'll just create one app and let everybody download it from, you know, the app store. Um, And that's what we're, I think, um, you know, I'm hoping at least that this this ruling will will then... um, force Facebook um, to do the same things for the U.S. uh, version of the app if they do allow us to choose whether or not we want personalized ads. Um, Yeah, that's... I was just going to say that's great that the U.N. is... the European Union is looking into this and taking it seriously and forming legislation because I think we remember, like, when Zuckerberg was before our political leaders it was just evident how little they understood about Facebook and how it works and how it makes money. And it was just very discouraging to see that, you know, usually the two sides of our politics can't agree on anything. And even though it seemed like they could agree that some of the media is bad, they were just so woefully ignorant of how this stuff works and what the vulnerabilities are to the population that they haven't really been able to come up with anything. To protect us for sure and then i don't know if you guys saw that documentary the social the social dilemma um but ever since i watched that i have just been so much more cognizant of how i'm scrolling and what i'm pausing at and and just the the amount of time i spend on my phone um and how much that kind of warps my perception of things um for sure. and, that, and that instant gratification thing um, there's just so much that feeds into this um, this culture of like an addictive social media um, type of behavior. Another good documentary was the Cambridge Analytica documentary 
and I can't remember now, I feel like I've conflated the two, but both of them really highlighted how even though some of some of this data, like it seems like it's just about consumerism and things like that, but they're really um, like any of the personality quizzes that are on Facebook, things like that can actually be harvesting psychological data that can then be projected onto things like political elections and really important stuff that's beyond like, oh, what kind of shampoo do people want to buy? Right. You know, it's like really big issues that this all feeds into much beyond our consumerism. And Yeah, that documentary is called The Great Hack. Okay, that's yeah. the one. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Yeah. It's been a while, but oh, it was still yeah. with me in mind. It is, it is intense to watch these things and realize just how much you don't realize you're being siloed. It um, was, which one of them? One of them I feel like took a child growing up now and like said how many data points were collected on that child, like from the moment that they entered into these digital worlds. I think that was the social dilemma. Was the, yeah. yeah. And that was alarming too, because yes. pe- parents, you know, there's always this issue of, you know, how much control does a parent have over their child or what protection should children have? And once their parents put them on the media, then without their consent, they've really started to become uh, collecting these data points from outside companies and becoming manipulated by the system. One of the things um, this reminded me since we were talking about extremism in the last segment is Mm -hmm. that, yeah, it is bigger than just selling things. It's also these things are these apps, like whether it's TikTok, Facebook, whatever, it's all about increasing or YouTube increasing the amount of time that you spend on it. So whatever Mm -hmm. gets people riled up. That's what floats to the top, including like very frightening, like disinformation, particularly among um, people in America. I think if it's not their image of like authoritarianism in like an enemy country, then it's not a problem. And it's like, look, just because one country might have certain types of like censorship or whatever which is obviously bad, that doesn't mean that the way you are fed news or information is Mm -hmm. automatically like above board and not propaganda. It's just different. Right. It's just promoted through like, what do the business interests want you to be doing? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it gives you like an illusion of choice. Mm -hmm. Exactly. But it's like you are also being very carefully molded and people are spending billions or trillions of dollars to get you to think and behave and act a very certain way that's in line with their interests but people think because like well we're not in china like and they feel so confident that they're free and it's like are you sure about that yeah <laughs> that's right that's right and then it it's just it's just really interesting to me also in that um this is not like a new philosophy of advertising you know advertising is always sort of about making you feel insecure um, to the point that you want to, you know, buy something to fix the problem, right? It's this like, the, you know, the way the cosmetics industry works and the way these diet things and um, even just like, the, you know, we were talking previously about the bunkers that people are building. It's just about like, okay, the more paranoia or the more insecure you, ha- you are, the more you're going to want to buy things. 
Um, and so that has now been just charged into overdrive with social media where advertisers have access to people 24 seven and will have eyes like on their product 24 seven if they want. And they have so much research and scientific application of algorithms yes. that are going into how to manipulate. I think of it as kind of like, you know, you sit and you got a bag of potato chips or some salty thing and you realize, oh man, I just ate, you know, six serving bag by myself. Mm -hmm. And then you realize that the taste in the bag was like created in a lab with a lot of money spent on how to make you want more of that chip. Mm -hmm. And it's like the same kind of all this investment goes into putting us on our screens and getting us to stay on them mm -hmm. and getting us to bait click down a wormhole. So on the one hand, you think of yourself as having some free will and choice in the matter, but there's a lot of uh, money and brains and time that are going into taking away that kind of choice that we have. Yeah, and like the you don't know where that information is going or like when you're, there's these data leaks and breaches, it's like there's all types of very spooky people that can do God knows what with that information, like. There was this um, article not that long ago that it's coming to my mind, especially since the fall of Roe v. Wade, and it was a it was like how, uh, how like Target knew a sixteen year old was pregnant before her family did or something, because yes. they had been um, following data about I guess stuff that she was searching or things that she had purchased or whatever that they're like oh this seems like stuff that you would buy if you were expecting a baby and then they mm -hmm. sent something in the physical mail to her house mm -hmm. about like being a new mom or whatever and the father her father was like furious like what is it because he's like no one in my house is pregnant why are you sending something to my minor child and he was really angry and then that's how it came out that he found out that in fact she was pregnant because she was essentially like outed because of these like nefarious practices with like aggressive personalized advertising. That's crazy. And wow, it's really, shocking. really scary. Yeah. And I'm like, God, yeah. you know, some people are being pregnant is a very vulnerable state to be in. Mm -hmm. Like if that happens and you're in the wrong house, like people have lost their lives behind you know, someone else finding out that they're going to have a baby or whatever, that they might not want to keep the baby. Like, so the fact that these companies, just because they think it will maximize their bottom line, have this ability to intrude in your life in this way, very scary. Yeah, for sure. Um, and it's, it's a, a kind of a, a more of a concern now as more and more generations are growing up on the screen. I mean, Gen Z seems to be just on social media all the time, right? Everybody's an influencer by the time they're 13. And then, and then the generation after, I don't know what they're calling them, but they're all growing up on tablets and iPads. Um, my, you know, nephew and niece are, are for every meal time in order to get them to sit still and finish their meal are, you know, the YouTube goes on, um, and they and they are in front of the screen so that they will finish their food. So uh, and that's not just like my family. That's a, I find that it's a pretty common practice across. Um, Definitely. Yeah. I was just talking to a friend who's a elementary school teacher 
and you know she's back in the classroom with second graders this year and she was saying that like when the kids have playtime like recess you know back in our day as millennials we used to play with blocks and toys and you'd go, go on the carpet and run yeah. outside and playground and she's like these kids their playtime they'll say they just want to sit on their tablets and she said it's very heartbreaking to see that they like they don't want to get up and run out of their seats and they do have a lot of trouble again there's covid mixed into this as well right. based on their development but right you know they they don't really have the social skills or she has to really force them to play with each other in like a old school way so yeah. we'll see how that all plays out as they get bigger this happens in other generational conflicts as well, but I feel like especially with this one, there's like the older generations are strongly critiquing the younger generations for being on the media all the time. But at the same time, they're the ones that are sometimes putting the cell phones and the iPads in the kids' hands and yep. being like, be quiet, play with this. Mm -hmm. And then at the same time saying, oh, what are we going to do about the kids that can't get their eyes off these screens that we put in front of them? Mm -hmm. For sure. And and maybe the GDPR is is sort of the, the framework we need to start with. I mean, the EU's done it um, and the companies are, are adjusting. And I mean, it must be working for them. Um, so why can't it work for us? Could be as simple as that. Great question. Yeah. And like, I know, Janet, your favorite thing in the world is the clock <laughs> app, TikTok. And like, I know that there's the version that is allowed in China, I think that there's like a cap on how much time mm -hmm. someone can spend on it. And like children are getting the things that are in their algorithm are like educational or like mm -hmm. encouraging them to do certain types of activities. But then the version of the app that is exported over here it can be all types of vaccine disinformation, just random yeah. garbage. Like it's just yeah. a free for all and there is no limit yeah. on how much time anyone can spend on it. And, you know, it is really like the illusion of freedom or like really mm -hmm. you have to think about what does freedom really mean? Yep. You know, because these things can like get to the point where it's destroyed your ability to like think critically or- And the attention span. I also feel like- based on my last 10 years of, you know, computer and screen time, like, you know, and the before times, it was a little bit more expected. And we were used to the idea of like, okay, I'm going to read a chapter of this, or I'm going to do the assignment. And I do find that I have all these tabs open, or I'll click on the hyperlink of the article, and then I'll forget what article I was originally reading. And there is some validity and some value, of course, in reading something from start to finish and like staying with that thought for a time. Like it it can seem like all the hyperlinks kind of deepen the conversation because you can connect a lot of different things. But sometimes it's better to just work through the one article, the one book, think about it, give it its moment before moving on to the next thing. And I think mm -hmm. the Internet's challenging us with this, <laughs> making it hard to do that anymore. For sure. Autoplay. Autoplay everything, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, that was a show. Uh, thank you so much for joining me, Jana and Saman. Thanks uh, for having us. Yeah, this yeah. was a lot of fun. 
And um, you, this has been Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. Please stay tuned for more um, Brooklyn-based community radio. And we're going to play our, ourselves out with, you know, speaking of privacy, this is Intruder by Peter Gabriel. Have a good rest of your week and happy belated new year. Bye. 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 <laughs> Certain. Mm-hmm.